This is Susan Swart. Welcome to Boundary Session 3. This one is entitled, What's Within My Boundary? This is all based on the book Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. As we start this session about what's within my boundary, let's remember what a boundary is. It defines us. Our boundary defines us. It's, it's just like a fence around us. What is me? What is not me? And what differentiates me from someone else? What differentiates them from me? So as we look at what's within my boundaries, we have to keep in mind these are things we have to own. We can't make other people responsible for them. And on the flip side of that, there are going to be people as we talk through these that we might realize are trying to make us responsible for their, for them, for their stuff. So we have to keep that in mind. So what's within my boundaries? We're going to look at 10. And the first one is feelings. My feelings are within my boundaries. Other people's feelings are within their boundaries. Here's commentary from Boundaries, page 42. Your feelings are your responsibility, and you must own them and see them as your problem so you can begin to find an answer to whatever issue they are pointing to. So just think through uh, times when we may be trying to make other people responsible for us or vice versa. So as we go through here, I think you'll see more what that is talking about. Number two is attitudes and beliefs. Our own attitudes and beliefs are within our boundaries, and the same is true for other people. So from Boundaries, page 42, attitudes, if we look at you know, what is the difference between an attitude and a belief, an attitude has to do with your orientation toward something, the stance you take toward others, you know how you think about God and life and work and relationships. A belief is anything that you accept is true. All the time I'm telling people you are going to live out what you believe. You can say you believe something, but if, if your behavior does not f prove that to be true, then your behavior is, is going to reveal what you truly believe. Case in point, so many people say, oh, I trust God for this, yet their behavior does not follow through with that. So their behavior shows that they truly are not trusting God or whatever the, other, whatever the issue might be. It can be anything, but that's one that I see it a lot. The beliefs, we're going to live out what we believe and our beliefs will reveal uh, or our behavior will truly reveal what we believe. So continuing on in Boundaries, page 42, it says we need to own our attitudes and convictions because they fall within our property line. We are the ones who feel their effect and the only ones who can change them. One thing to take from that is we can't change other people and the other people can't change us. So continuing on on page 42, it says, the tough thing about attitudes is that we learn them very early in life. Before they, We really learn them before we even realize we're learning them. Okay, So they play a big part in the map of who we are and how we operate. People who have never questioned their attitudes and beliefs can fall prey to the dynamic that Jesus referred to when he described people holding on to the quote-unquote traditions of men instead of the commands of God. See Mark 7, 8 or Matthew 15, 3. 
people with boundary problems usually have distorted attitudes about responsibility. They feel that to hold people responsible for their feelings, for, for the other person, holding the other person responsible for their feelings, choices, and behaviors is mean. However, Proverbs repeatedly says that setting limits and accepting responsibility will save lives. We can also feel if someone is putting a, a boundary on us about our attitudes and beliefs that they're being mean to us. And so a lot of times as we start to set healthy boundaries, what we run into is someone will, will make that comment about, well, that's just mean, or I didn't think Christians acted that way. Those are things, those are manipulations. And so we have to keep that in mind when we start seeing the, hearing those kinds of statements or seeing that kind of attitude toward us, we know that there's a manipulation going on. Number three is behaviors. In Galatians 6, 7, Paul says, If you think you can fool God, you are only fooling yourselves. You will harvest what you plant. While that's an agricultural term, it can be applied to our lives. The, the, the law of sowing and reaping that can play out in us. So according to Boundaries, page 43 says, If we study, we're going we're gonna to have good grades. If we go to work, we're going to get a paycheck. If we exercise, we will have better health. If we act lovingly toward others, we will have closer relationships. On the negative side, if we sow idleness, irresponsibility, or out-of-control behavior, we can expect to reap, po reap poverty, failure, and the effects of loose living. Those are natural consequences of our behavior. The problem comes when someone interrupts the law of sowing and reaping in another's life. To rescue people from the natural consequences of their behavior is to render them powerless. We may have that happen in our life where someone is stepping in and keeping us from, from feeling pain associated with a decision that we're making when we really need to feel that pain or we won't change. And the same is true where we might be stepping into someone else's life, trying to make sure they don't feel pain and making sure everything's okay for them. And, and that's called enabling because it's really not allowing the Holy Spirit to do the work in either our life or someone else's life that he is really trying to do. And I call that playing, you know, junior Holy Spirit, where we are trying to control a situation. And really what that's doing, it's making us feel okay. Our anxiety level has gone up. We are afraid that they will feel pain or that they will have to go through this. And I don't want them to go through this or vice versa. It may be someone looking at us that way. And we, it's really taking the place of the Holy Spirit when we step back and let those natural consequences happen. Then the Holy Spirit can do the work he's needing to do in that person's life to bring about true change or true healing to let them even know that there's an issue. Number four is choices. On page 44 of Boundaries, it says, we need to take responsibility for our choices the phrase of I had to or she or he made me betray our basic illusion that we are not active agents in many of our dealings. We think someone else is in control, thus relieving us of our basic responsibility. We need to realize we are in control of our choices, no matter how we feel. An example of this that I give a lot is somebody says, well, they just made me mad. I mean, that can be very common. Somebody can just always be saying that they made me mad or they did this or they did that. And now I'm feeling this way, you know, all of that. So I use the example of say a situation happens 
you have two people watching that situation or who are a part of that situation. And the, the two people can have different, totally different responses. One can be mad and one can be like, well, it's just how things go. Uh, or they're going to have to live with that or whatever. So that to me shows it's not the, not the issue that happens that is causing the anger. We are choosing to be angry. And a lot of people don't understand that at first. And that can really, you know, they're, they're trying to wrap their head around that can be pretty challenging. But when two people have different responses to the same situation, the situation is not the issue causing the anger or the whatever, you know, because they're having different responses. If it was the issue, both would be having the same response. And so that shows that we are responsible for our anger or we are responsible for our happiness or we are responsible for our feelings. And it goes back to number one, we're responsible for our feelings. So that is where if we are constantly blaming someone else for how we feel, we're giving them the power and we are not owning that. So we have to own our own stuff as we are learning these. Number five is values. How can you tell what a person values? It's, it's really pretty easy. It's going to be what they love and they assign importance to. On page 45 of Boundaries, it says, when we take responsibility for out-of-control behavior caused by loving the wrong things or valuing things that have no lasting value, when we confess that we have a heart that values things that will not satisfy, we can receive help from God and his people to create a new heart within us. Boundaries help us not to deny, but to own our own hurtful values so God can change them. Because back to what I've already been talking to, talking about. If we're keeping other people from experiencing what God would, would really want them to experience, if we're stepping in and trying to control a situation, then we're getting in God's way. So we need to, that's part of what boundaries are, is allowing people to go through whatever it is that God's wanting them to go through. Number six is limits. There are two aspects of limits that stand out when it comes to creating better boundaries. The first one is setting limits on our exposure to those who are behaving poorly. We can't change another person or make them behave better, but we can set limits on our own exposure to those people. Sometimes, as much as people find it hard to um, really want to go with this thought, some people are toxic. Um, some people don't want to believe that. But if their behavior and their attitudes and just if they're constantly, I call it drama, constantly in drama then there, there may be, uh, they may be toxic. The person may be toxic. They may not realize it. They usually don't realize it. But sometimes we have to limit our exposure to that. One question at this point is, does God limit his exposure to people who are behaving outside his expressed boundaries? And the answer is yes. He does limit his exposure. You see it over and over in the Old Testament 
uh, when God would say, if you do this, then I'm going to do, you know, if you, if you obey me, I'm, I will protect you. And if you do not obey me, I will not protect you. You see that played out all throughout Kings, first and second Kings. Go back to that. You will see that played out over and over. You have a good king and everything's going well. God's protection is there. Um, but when there was a bad king, God would move back. And he would live, let them live out the consequences, the natural consequences of their behavior. We see it in the New Testament where Jesus put some limits on the Pharisees. And he he was like, you know, you get to, you'll just play this out. You, we see it with Jesus having boundaries with the rich young ruler who came to him. And the, he says, what do, I, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And Jesus starts telling him. We'll do this. Well, I've done that. Okay, well then go sell all of your stuff and follow me. And the rich young ruler was like, I, I can't do that. He walked away. Jesus didn't change his boundaries and go chasing after him to go, no, let me let me change the boundaries so that you'll follow me. Jesus let the consequences happen because that's where Jesus' boundaries were. Number two on this one on setting limits is setting our own internal limits. Sometimes we have to set them internally for ourselves. Boundaries, page 46, says we need to have spaces inside ourselves where we can have a feeling, an impulse, or a desire without acting it out. We need self-control without repression. We need to be able to say no to ourselves. This includes both our destructive desires and some good ones that we are not wise to pursue at a given time. Internal structure is a very important component of boundaries and identity, as well as ownership, responsibility, and self-control. So what does all that mean? Okay. A lot of people will have feelings and then they will repress them. Uh, no, I'm not really angry uh, because for some reason there's they have not been allowed to have that uh, behavior or express those feelings or they've always expressed them in a real unhealthy way, maybe even violence. Uh, so let's take anger for you know an example. Um, if they have never been taught how to express that in a healthy way, then that may be something where God's needing to bring healing. And so it's like, with me, I had repressed anger for so long, for so many years, uh, because I had been teased growing up. When I would get angry, I would uh, get teased. And so that then turned into, well, that must not be okay, where I don't want to be teased, and so I won't be angry. So I started hiding anger. I started denying it was that it was there. One thing you find out about anger, if it's not going to come out in a healthy way, it's going to come out in an unhealthy way, either by actively doing something, yelling or breaking things or throwing things or whatever, or it will go into hiding to where you're not expressing it, but it's still going to come out physically through muscle tension, uh, stomach problems, headaches. It's going to come out. So one of the things we have to do is find a healthy way to release that, have self-control, but find a healthy way to where we're not hurting someone else with our anger or something. One way is like with a wiffle ball bat. Get a wiffle ball bat. And they're just big plastic bat and beat on your bed. Feels really stupid at first. I've done this. Uh, it feels really stupid at first, but as as you start doing it, 
it's like the anger can start coming up and it's a healthier way to release that, to get it out to where it's not causing stomach problems, muscle tension, headaches, but it's releasing it in a healthy way. Another way is to write letters. Uh, You may be mad at someone and you just really want to let them have it. One of the things is to write a letter. Now, should you send the letter? Probably not. Um, not in, not, but it's good to get it out. I've, I've done this to where I was needing to get anger out and I would write a letter and sometimes it didn't even make sense. It would be just phrases or something, but the anger could rise to the surface. I could express it. And a lot of times with that, God would have me then burn it. Um, you, because it was like offering it to him, me letting go of it, getting it out of my body and then give, handing it over to him to let him do what he wanted to do with it, to, to trust him with that. Sometimes, yeah, we do need to eventually maybe go have a, have a hard, you know, hard talk with someone. We just need to weigh that as to see what is God wanting me to do in this situation? Is this something that is really just me needing to vent or is this something that's really needing to be addressed with that other person? And so that it's that's case by case. That is not cookie cutter. There is not a one size fits all answer to that. So that's really going to be, you know, however, whatever your situation is. Number seven is talents. Uh, in the parable uh, of the talents in Matthew 25, it's re- referring to money, but that also applies to our internal talents and gifts. Uh, The servant who invested or used the talent was done, well done, good and faithful servant. Where the servant who hid the talent, he was afraid of failure. That's really what his issue was, was he was afraid. And so he was told, you wicked, lazy servant. Okay, so what's going on there? On Boundaries, page 47, it says he was chastised for being afraid. We are all afraid when we try something new and difficult. He was chastised not for confronting his fear and trying the best he could. Not confronting our fear denies the grace of God and and insults both his giving, God's giving, and of the gift and his grace to sustain us as we are learning. Number eight is thoughts. Mark uh, 1230 it says love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul all your mind and all your strength out of all of God's creation we are the only ones told to love God with all of our mind animals are not told to do that but we as human beings are in 2nd Corinthians ten five, it says we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We have to sometimes literally take thoughts captive. There's a, a form of communication called internal self-talk. It's what's rumbling around in our own head. The enemy can really take advantage of that and we can have records playing that started way back before we were even aware. Um, things can have been planted in our heart and in our mind that are still playing out today that are distortions. Basically, they're not true. Well, you're just a failure. You're ugly. You're too fat. Whatever, whatever the situation might be, we may still be carrying those around with us 
and those records automatically play when a certain when we're triggered or a certain situation happens those records automatically start to play and continue to reinforce the lies because those are not things God would say about us. Uh, he, he never condemns us. He loves us so much. And, some, and one of the biggest things I run into is people truly cannot believe how much God loves them. And so establishing boundaries in thinking involves three things. Number one, you must own your own thoughts. In Boundaries, 40, uh, page 47, many people have not taken ownership of their own thinking processes. They are mechanically thinking the thoughts of others without ever examining them. They swallow others' opinions and reasonings, never questioning, and thinking of, thinking about their thinking. Basically, what is what, is, what self-talk is going on in my head that I'm not even aware of? Certainly, we should listen to the thoughts of others and weigh them, but we should never give our minds over to anyone. We are to weigh things for ourselves in the context of relationships, sharpening each other as iron, but remaining separate thinkers. Number two is you must grow in knowledge and expand your mind. One way that we do this is by studying God's Word. We learn about God and how He relates to people, how people relate to people, and all of that. We must learn about the world that God has given us and become wise stewards. And it doesn't matter if we are raising children, balancing a checkbook, working at our job. God wants us to use our brain. And we can learn through uh, reading. We can learn through listening to podcasts. We can learn through sermons. We can learn through so many different things. I'm a reader, and I that's where God teaches me so much through reading. Uh, read, and then it, a lot of things he has me read is to, because it helps me understand what a scripture is saying and what he is really meaning there. Number three is we must clarify distorted thinking. So here's what Boundary says. It says, we all have a tendency to not see things clearly, to think and perceive in distorted ways. Probably the easiest distortions to notice are in personal relationships. We rarely see people as they really are. Our perceptions are distorted by past relationships and our own preconceptions of who we think they are, even the people we know best. Taking ownership of our thinking in relationships requires being active in checking out where we may be wrong. As we assimilate new information, our thinking adapts and grows closer to reality. So distorted thinking is really just where we have believed lies, and so many times we've believed lies and didn't know it, so a lot, a lot of times we can have distorted thinking and not even realize it's distorted thinking. And so we have just grown up with something, if you want to see uh, one example of distorted thinking is be around other people, either through marriage where you marry into another family and you find out, oh my goodness, they do things completely differently than my family does. Um, I have had friends who have told me, I did not realize how dysfunctional my family was or issues that were in my family until I got to know my spouse's spouse's family or friends' families and realized that there was there were differences. People did things in different ways. And so a lot of times we have distorted thinking about ourselves, about other people. In uh, 1 Corinthians 2.11, Paul says, It is like this. No one knows the thoughts that another person has. Only the person's spirit that lives inside knows those thoughts. 
That's a great statement about boundaries. We have to own our own thoughts, and if we want others to know them, we're going to have to tell them because people cannot read our mind, and we cannot read other people's minds, and so we have to be clear. Sometimes we have to actually speak speak boundaries, uh, or they may not know it. Number nine is desires. Our desires include our wants, dreams, wishes, goals, plans, hungers, and thirsts. And so we have to own those things. Um, it, if we are in, we're in pain or uncomfortable in, or anxious in some ways, we're going to try to make the pain, discomfort, or anxiety or loneliness go away. And many times it's an automatic response and we don't even know we're doing it. We may have desires about something, they're not being met, and we get anxious and we're trying to meet them, meet those desires in unhealthy ways. We may not even know what our desires really are, but sometimes we do. And we we just have to be careful. We have to own our own desires and not make someone else responsible for them. Psalm 37, 4 says, enjoy serving the Lord and he will give you whatever you ask for. But we have to enjoy serving the Lord. There's an, there's an if-then on that. Psalm 145.19 says, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears their cries and saves them. He has a responsibility and we have a responsibility there. Commentary on page 47 of Boundaries says, God loves to give gifts to His children, but He's a wise parent. He wants to make sure His gifts are right for us. To know what to ask for, we have to be in touch with who we really are and what our real motives are. If we are wanting something to feed our pride or to enhance our ego, I doubt that God is very interested in giving that to us. But it would be good, but if it would be good for us, then he's very interested. And so there's a real difference between our needs and our wants. We might want something and God knows we really don't need it. So a lot of that is coming to, really coming to trust him and what he is doing, his plan for us. Number 10 is love. God gives and responds to love, and he created us in his image. There's a parallel between the physical heart and the emotional heart. The physical heart has to continue to pump to bring life into to keep the body living, and our emotional heart has to be fed as well. And so the blood flows in and out of a properly functioning physical heart. So emotional, in our, if our emotional heart is functioning properly, then love can flow in and out of that. And so here's from Boundaries, page 50. We need to take responsibility for the loving function of ourselves. Love concealed or love rejected can both kill us. Many people do not take ownership for how they resist love. They have a lot of love around them, but do not realize that their loneliness is a result of their own lack of responsiveness. Often they will say others' love can't get in. This statement negates their responsibility to respond. We maneuver subtly to avoid responsibility in love. We need to claim our hearts as our property and work on our weaknesses in that area. And it will open up life to us. Thank you for joining me for session three. In session four, we're going to be talking about boundary problems. I hope you'll join me.